Well, good evening, church family. Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, as we're going to talk tonight about receiving and delivering the gospel. Receiving and delivering the gospel. Verse 1 of chapter 15 says this. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, in which you also stand, by which you, uh, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the, the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried. And that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. This is the word of the Lord, and may he be glorified in the reading and now in the preaching of his word. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for your word. It's a lamp unto our feet, it's a light unto our path. Father, would you hide your words in our heart now, that we would not sin against you. Would you open our eyes? that we would behold wonderful things from it. And Father, would you help us, equip us now to make disciples, to make disciples to the ends of the earth, to the end of time. Lord, we love you. Would you work in us now in this time? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated if you're standing already. Um, this is our second week in our series called Resurrection Hope. We're walking verse by verse through 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're seeing how the Apostle Paul modeled for us how to apply the gospel, how to apply the gospel to the questions of daily life. Specifically here, we're seeing him apply the gospel in chapter 15 to the issue of the resurrection. We'll talk more about that as we go on. But last week we talked um, with Pastor Cody about how Paul made known to them the gospel again he, he was reminding them of the gospel that the Corinthians and us for that matter might hold fast to it you can see that video if you missed that you can check that out here on, on First Baptist Church or fbcgregables.com they're on the watch listen tab there on the top um, so but today we're going to see how Paul reminded the Corinthians of both the gospel's message and its importance, its priority. And that leads me to my big idea for tonight. My big idea, if I could squeeze this entire message down into one sentence, church, it would be this. That we must receive the gospel rightly and deliver it to others as of first importance. We must receive the gospel rightly and deliver it to others as of first importance. Now, I want you also to notice Probably below this video, you're going to see a link to a note sheet for tonight. So you can, uh, if you've got a printer at home, you can print that out. If not, at least you can download it and you can write that down if you're the note-taking sort. And I really hope you are. Uh, what a great opportunity for us during this time to be invested in, to take notes, and to, and to, uh, to be equipped to do uh, what God has commanded us to do in His work. Amen? Yeah. Um, so with that, again... We must receive the gospel rightly and deliver it to others as of first importance. First, let's talk about how to receive the gospel rightly. Receive the gospel rightly. Look with me at verse 3. 
We're going to take a look there, starting at the last half of the verse, going on through the rest of the passage. It says, For I delivered you, to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And then verse 4, And that he was buried. And that he was buried. That word Christ there is a Greek translation of the word Messiah. You've heard us use that word before. Um, it is pointing to, it really it means literally the anointed one, the, the chosen one. And that title is used throughout the scriptures, focusing mainly on one person. I think if you're listening to this and you've been listening to this for a while, you, you know who that is. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's who Paul's talking about here, right? The Christ, the anointed one, Jesus Christ, that he, that he died for our sins according to the scriptures. According to the scriptures. So the question is, is asked then, what do the scriptures say to us about these things? What do the scriptures tell us about Christ dying for our sins? Well, and this is really where we want to take a moment and just walk through the gospel together. So the scriptures, in talking about the gospel, the scriptures begin with God. God, the, the good, holy, loving creator of all things. So when we hear those things about his character and Genesis and really throughout the rest of the Bible, it makes sense to us then when the Bible tells us that he is the only one worthy to reign over everything and to receive worship from everything, including you and me. Revelation 4 verse 11 says this, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. And because of your will, they existed and were created. Again, that's Revelation 4, verse 11. God created man and set him up to be in charge of everything under his authority. But we can look around now and we can see that something went terribly wrong, didn't it? From the start, mankind has rebelled against God as king. We've all rejected him in favor of being our own kings, running our lives our own way. So the Bible says, and uh, the scriptures say in Romans chapter 3, starting verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands, there is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become useless. There is none that does good. There is not even one. This is the world we live in, church, but God cares about his glory, doesn't he? And he will not allow this rebellion to go on forever. He even, he even promised in the scriptures that he will hold all of his enemies accountable for their sins. He will judge them and then punish them in hell. Hebrews 9 verse 27 says this, And, and inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. That's Hebrews 9 27. It doesn't paint a really good picture for mankind, but even in, as desperate and as bad as this seems, we have a reason to hope, don't we? Yes, God is holy and just, but he is gracious, merciful, steadfast in his love. And, be, and because of this love, God looked upon hopelessly sinful mankind and did something to make a way us to escape from his wrath that we so much that we so rightly deserve. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, the God man. He perfectly obeyed God, Jesus did. 
He had, so with that in mind, that he had no reason to die. He had no reason to receive God's wrath like we do. But in his great love for us, he willingly stood in our place, taking God's punishment, and he laid down his life on the cross to satisfy God's anger for our rebellion. Jesus Christ died the death that we all deserve. But look back with me at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 again. The good news is the gospel. The good news of the gospel is then that the Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, verse 4, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. There's that phrase again. So again, what do the scriptures say about this? God raised Jesus to life again three days later. He did this to display God's authority over everything, even death, even death, but also to show that he accepted Jesus' death as a wrath-removing sacrifice. That's what that word atonement means that we talk about so much. That he was an atonement for us. God then made Jesus king over all creation to the glory of God the Father. This is what the Bible is saying when it says here in 1 Peter, um, in a couple of places in 1 Peter. First, uh, 1 Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Then 1 Peter 3, 18, For Christ also died for sins once for all, uh, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Yeah, that's 1 Peter 3, 18. In a world of doubt and speculation, God also didn't leave this history-altering event without witnesses. Look at this. 1 Corinthians 15, 5. Uh, well, again, that he, he died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures in verse 5, and that he appeared to Cephas and the twelve. That word Cephas, that name, that's a, that's a, a, a in the original language, it is a name for Peter. Peter, the, the disciple that we know and love from the scriptures. And we see this back in 1 John, where we see this connection between this guy named Simon, who was renamed Cephas, or Peter. Uh, John chapter 1, starting in verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak, that's John the Baptist, by the way, and followed him, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found his, his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah. Messiah. And then it says, John put, gives us a little note here, a little footnote that says, Which translated means Christ. Verse 42. He brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. And that's John 1, 40 through 42. Peter later preached in Acts 2 this. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. He's speaking about the disciples. Uh, we'll see more about this later on in our series. I don't want to rob from, from, uh, from Brock and from some of the others that are going to come in after me. But suffice to say, this was not something that was done and hidden away in a corner. This is something that it had a number of eyewitnesses to. The number of eyewitness testimonies of Jesus' resurrection would be insurmountable 
in a court of law today. It is by every measure a historical fact. That means that everything else about the scriptures, everything else that the scriptures say about Jesus is true. The resurrection is true. And God affirmed Christ in our eyes by, by raising him from the dead. That means that everything else is true. Church. Things like John 3, verse 36. Where it says, he who believes in the Son, that's with a capital S there for Son, which means it's talking about Jesus. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. That's John 3, 36. The gospel leaves you, leaves you two and only two options. One, you can continue in your sin and your rebellion. But as the scriptures say, when the time comes, the time that God has appointed, you will face God's judgment. You will face his wrath. So that's option one. Or you can take option number two. You can submit yourself. You can surrender yourself to Jesus Christ as king over your life. You can turn from your sin and rebellion and place your trust and hope in Jesus and what he has done receive forgiveness and eternal life. So you can continue in sin and rebellion, which leads to judgment and death and wrath. Or you can surrender yourself to Jesus Christ as your king and receive forgiveness and eternal life. But understand, this isn't just the way to God. And we know that, don't we, church? This is not just the way to get to God and all his blessings. It's not just the way to God, it's the way of God. It's the way that God has, has set for us to not only to, to gain access to him, but to walk with him by faith. Those who trust in Jesus not only experience the promise of eternal life, but they live to please him. Each day we live by the power of the gospel, turning from our sin and seeking, seeking our king, or instead, sorry, turning from our sin and seeking to be our own king, right? And instead, trusting in Jesus as our sufficiency before him and our power, the desire and power to please him. Isn't that amazing? He is our king who rules over us, but he's also the one who empowers us to live for his glory. Man, I hope that frees you up. It sure does with me. So let me sum up the gospel in this way. The good news of the gospel is that the God of the Bible just and gracious creator of all things, looked upon hopelessly sinful mankind and sent his son, Jesus Christ, the God-man, to, to bear uh, God's wrath against our sin on the cross and to display his power over, the over death in the resurrection so that all who turn from their sin and their selves and trust in Jesus Christ alone as Lord and Christ and Savior of their lives, be reconciled to God. They will live to please Him and they will experience the promise of eternal life which is to enjoy God forever in heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the message of the gospel. My question to you is have you received it right? That means have you heard the correct gospel? Of course. And 
my prayer is that as we search the scriptures in this part of the sermon, that you've seen from the scriptures what the gospel says. But also, have you received it rightly? And that have you received it by repentance and faith? Turning from your sin and trusting in Jesus. And trusting in Jesus as Lord, as the only Lord of your life. My prayer is that that would be the case. And if you haven't, I pray that you do that wherever you are. So, we've talked about receiving the gospel rightly. Now, let's talk about um, delivering the gospel faithfully. Delivering, or to deliver the gospel faithfully. Look with me back again at verse 3. For I delivered to you as a first importance, and first importance, what I also received. So, notice here what's, what Paul's saying. First, he's told, he tells the Corinthians, A, I delivered the gospel to you. I delivered the gospel to you. This is a command that we have in Christ. And Paul is obeying Jesus as he has done this delivery, this delivery service that we're, that we're seeing here. Uh, Mark, uh, Mark 16, verse 15, Jesus says this. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation, to the whole creation, other other verses say, or other uh, translations say. And again, that's Mark 16, 15. That's not just uh, to that small group of disciples there on, on that hillside on that day. This is the command of God to every believer. This is a command to you and to me. And Paul says here in our message, not only did I deliver it to you, but look, B, he says, I delivered it to you as of first. I delivered it to you as of first importance. If you read the Bible all the way through, it, it becomes clear to you that, that the gospel is not just one message among many in the Bible. It is the message. It is the central storyline of the Bible. It is uh, from Genesis to Revelation. All the Bible is telling this gospel story of salvation made available by God through his son, Jesus Christ. And it is a message that stands in stark contrast to the context that we see here in Corinth. And I think in, in Callahan as well. Corinth was a mess of messages, you might say. See, see what I did here? All right, so Corinth was a mess of messages. Corinthians were constantly hearing the message of Rome. They were constantly hearing the message of Rome. It was a Roman colony. And so Roman law and customs were held in high honor especially among the upper classes of society. They also heard the messages of syncretism. Uh, syncretism is, is when, we, when you see a mixing of religions and belief systems. Many cultures and religions mixed together there in the, this big city of Corinth. Corinthians worship lots of different gods and lords, all those I mentioned with, with lowercase letters, right? Um, you see that in, in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 5. Uh, this polytheistic worship, this many gods, many lords worship, was fully integrated into daily life, into governmental affairs, into social events. So everything around them, all around them, in every aspect of their lives, day to day, they were being bombarded with this syncretistic worship and being pressured to do the same. But not only that, they also were hearing the messages of self-worship. 
Corinth had a reputation for hosting lots of professional speakers. Their entertaining rhetorical displays guided people on how to become more popular, how to advance and become more popular and powerful in society. And of course, every listener was charged a fee. So into this clamor and babble, into this uh, cacophony of different messages that are going on, um, this, this sea of other messages, Paul brings the message of the gospel. And a church quickly sprung up. I want you to notice this. This gospel was carried into Corinth by a once selfish, advancing, religious, arrogant, and even racist man whose soul had been satisfied with Christ. He was no longer sin. His life had been changed and transformed by the power of God through the gospel. In this culture that it embraced self-advancement and pride, we hear Paul saying in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, verse 17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. He also says in Chapter 9, verse 16. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For I am under compulsion. For woe is me. Curses upon me is what, that's mean, what that means. For may there be a curse upon me if I do not preach the gospel. Why, Paul? Why? Why would you essentially lay down your hopes, your dreams, your very life, your security, Paul said this later on to the Philippians, chapter 3, verse 7. But whatever things were gained, those things I've counted lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I know all things, or I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Again, that's Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. Same book, chapter 1, verse 21, Paul says this, For me to live is Christ. I bet you can finish it, right? For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. The God of the gospel had satisfied Paul's soul in Christ. So Paul agreed with the scriptures then that knowing God in Christ is far better, far better than anything, all the things that he could lose, even in his death. And he understood that this first importance, this priority of the gospel was not just for Paul, not just for Justin, but not just for you, but for the world. For every person we pass on the road, every person we we pass by at the store, whether rich or poor, young or old, regardless of color, language, culture, rightly receiving this gospel with repentance and faith. I lost my place. Goodness gracious. There we go. Rightly receiving this gospel by repentance and faith is the only way that anyone anywhere can be reconciled to God. Church family, your neighbors, 
your coworkers, that person six feet in front of you in the checkout line this week, they need the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is eternally important that they receive it. So my question is, are we delivering it to them? Because now more than ever, we understand that we're not guaranteed a tomorrow. Life is short and eternity is long. And if we understand what the scriptures say about, about God's wrath and God's judgment upon his enemies in hell, a place described with fire, torment, anguish, weeping, wailing, then we don't want anyone to go there. In fact, it's the epitome of hatred for us to understand that this is the track that they're on and to do nothing. Paul says, I deliver to you this gospel as a first importance. And he says also there at the end, see, this is what I also received. I deliver to you as a first importance what I also received. Paul is saying, God saved me by this gospel. And that's why he wasn't ashamed of it. He had personally experienced that the gospel is the power of God and salvation for everyone, everyone who believes. Romans 1, 16. He knew that he, he had hope laid up for himself in heaven because of God's gospel. Colossians 1, 5. And he knew that there were other gospels out there which really weren't gospels at all. False gospels that can't save and they are therefore deceiving people about where their hope for eternity lies. He addressed this really strongly with the Galatians in chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, starting with verse 6. He says, I'm amazed, I'm shocked that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for another gospel. Listen how he describes this gospel, which is really not another gospel. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is accursed, cut off from Christ. This person doesn't know Jesus because they are intentionally distorting the gospel. The eternal destiny of people and the glory of God is at stake. So church family, hear me. We cannot take a casual approach to the gospel. The glory of, the, of this gospel is worthy of our, of our guarding it. It is worthy and Paul understood that and he practiced it and he invested it into his disciple Timothy. 2 Timothy 1 verse 13 says, Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Then same book, verse, uh, chapter 2 verse 2, he says, The things that you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach who? Others also invest these in faithful men who will be able to teach these to others also. This was not just a general sentiment where Paul was saying something that sounded really nice without saying anything at all. You ever heard somebody, someone speak a lot of things but not really say anything? This was not what Paul was doing. This standard referred to a, a set system of teaching. 
specific things that Paul had taught him according to the scriptures. And he had charged, he had charged Timothy to keep it, to guard it, and to invest it, to invest it into others with the intent of them reproducing it too. The goal is what? Multi-generational faithfulness to the gospel. Church family. Now, I want you to see this too. He he doesn't, he isn't telling him to do this. Well, you just do the best you can do. You you go out there and preach, and, and, and if you're a good enough speaker, and if you can say it clearly and, more, and eloquently enough, then you're going to make an impact. No. He's it, the very verse before that, in first Timothy, or second Timothy 2 1, he says, be strengthened with the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It is not Timothy's job. It is not my job. It is not your job, church family, to save and to transform the lives of, of people. That's God's job. And so he's saying, be strengthened with God's grace to do what God alone, what God has, has called you to do. Isn't that good news? Be encouraged, church. The Lord empowers those that he commands. He equips those whom he calls. And church family, this is where I, I, want, to, I want to say this, and I, I, I hope that you understand where I'm coming from here. This thing of investment, that we've been invested with, with a gospel that is clear. We've been invested in, with, a, with, a, with a message that needs to, be, needs to be guarded, maintained, and to be reproduced, to be invested. We, we find ourselves in this time where there's a lot, a lot of, of access to Bible teaching because of this wonderful thing called the Internet. A lot of bad things about the Internet, but that is definitely a good one. But with it comes this potential snare. Sometimes a lot of good things can get in the way of the best thing. It's possible for us to fill our days watching multiple Sunday school lessons multiple sermons, multiple Bible studies, and to not apply any of it. Let alone invest it into, into someone else's life. It's so easy to slip into that consumer entertainment mindset instead of one that says, I'm, I'm here, I'm being invested in by someone. Someone is investing the gospel into me. A right understanding of what the Bible says about Christ and his gospel. And I'm here to be invested in. I'm not saying that we shouldn't watch these things. But I, I will say this. I, I would rather you watch a little with the intent that you, um, that you meditate on. That you apply it. And that you reproduce that into the life of someone else in the days that follow Let's not get caught up in this repetition of watch and then immediately go to another thing to watch and go to another thing to watch. This is the scroll effect. We've talked about that before. And it robs us of truly meditating on the scriptures. So that's my goal for you, church, that uh, not to rob you of joy, but that your joy may be full. Because we are responsible to apply and to reproduce what we have learned, brothers and sisters. What kind of what kind of return is King Jesus getting on his investment in you and in me? 
So in our time today, we've seen the glory of God displayed through his glorious gospel. This good news of God, that he died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, that he, that, and then he appeared to Cephas in the twelve. This is the gospel. This is the good news of the gospel. And so what I want, and with that, then we must receive it rightly. We must receive it in its true form, and we also must receive it in the right way with repentance and faith. And we must also deliver it rightly, deliver it faithfully to others as of first importance. And so as we get ready to, to kind of shut down here, I want to I want to leave you with some things to think about. And I, my, my prayer is that you would think about these things, meditate on these things, Talk to God about them in prayer and then apply them in the days of death. First, you've heard the gospel today during our time together. My question is, have you rightly received it? Are you trusting in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord over your life? Are you trusting uh, not just as, a, as the way to God, but as the way of God to walk with him by faith, with him, repentance and faith? I got news for you, friend. It's, 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 it's a cycle over and over again, day by day, repentance and faith, repentance and faith. Not just an event that happened sometime in the past, but one that has a present impact on the way that you and I live. Two, are you delivering the gospel faithfully? Are you delivering the gospel faithfully? Can you clearly explain the gospel from the scripture? Can you clearly explain the character and, and uh, the character and role of God as creator, the sinfulness of man, the sufficiency of Christ, the necessity of faith, and the urgency of eternity? Can you do that faithfully from the scriptures? If you can't, we actually have we have resources on the website. We'd also we would love to spend time uh, with you. I mean, we can. Even in our time when we're doing the social distancing thing, we can we can talk with you. We can point you to books and things. We'll do what we need to do. If you want to be invested in this way, let us know. We would be grateful for the opportunity to help you. And again, you can find our, our gospel tracks. You can print that. You can do what you want with it. It's ours, and it's at greatgables.info. So. Um, are you maintaining, are you, are you delivering it faithfully? Are you maintaining the clear, sound teaching of the gospel that you've received? Are you sharing it with others? And are you sharing it with others as of first importance? More than anything that you can gain from that person, do you desire for them that they would know Christ, to be satisfied in Him, and to experience this promise of eternal life, to enjoy Him forever and ever? Is that your greatest priority? For them to know the gospel, for them to hear the gospel, for them to receive the gospel, for them to trust Christ according to the gospel. And then number three, as you do these things, and I think this is the key, friends, okay, as you do these things, not trusting in your own ability, not trusting in your own intellect, your own ability to be able to speak eloquently, persuasively. But trusting in the God of the gospel to work in and through you. 
It doesn't absolve us from studying, from preparing, from praying, from laboring, to communicate it clearly and persuasively. But it does mean that as we do all those things, as we do all those things, we are knowing and trusting that he will give us the power to do. And even more so, that when all those things are done, at the end of the day, the power to save and to transform lives doesn't reside in preaching or the preacher. It doesn't reside in the Bible study. It doesn't reside in anything else other than God working through his word. Again, as you do these things, as you prepare, as you study, as you pray, doing all these other things, as you as you share the gospel, are you doing so, trusting that God is giving you the power and desire to do it? And that He alone can and has promised to save you using His word in your life. I, I hope that frees you up. I, I know it certainly does me, and I, I, I want you to hear this. There, I mean, there have been times in my life where the Lord has worked in, in, through, in and through me in conversations that I've been able to play, praise God, I've been able to share the gospel. But there have also been a lot of times that I, that whether from fear or for some, from something else, I just, I didn't. Your pastors are not perfect in this. So please don't hear us as uh, claiming to be experts and that we've got this all figured out and that you just need to, uh, need to buck up and do it right. We we all need Jesus. We are all desperately in need of him to help us in this. And so friends, are you are you obeying the gospel? Have you received it rightly? And are you, are you delivering it faithfully? Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the gospel. It's your power unto salvation for everyone who believes. Thank you for investing it into us. Father, we confess that we have not always been faithful to apply the gospel to our lives. We, uh, we have not always been faithful to step out and to, to share this good news with others. So, Father, would you please work in us? Would you open our eyes to see your great glory, to see the great need of this world that's around us? And to, would you please empower us, Lord, to, to work hard at praying and studying, preparing, communicating this gospel clearly with grace and with truth to those around us. Father, we beg you, like Paul did in Colossians, that, Lord, would you open the door for the word that, that even in this difficult season that many would trust in Jesus Christ, the Lord. And Lord, we, we long to see many following, learning, reproducing disciples of Jesus Christ to be made that your great name would be glorified to the ends of the earth until the end of time. Lord, we love you. Would you help us now? In Jesus' name, amen. Church, thank you so much for studying with me tonight. I hope you're doing well. We can't wait to see you, we hope. Um, we're praying that, that this will end soon. But even in the meantime, we have this time together. So I pray it's been beneficial. God bless you. Have a great day.